RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. This episode of Priority One is also brought to you by Mac Weldon, smart underwear for smart guys. Get 20% off your first order by visiting MacWeldon.com and entering promo code PRIORITY at checkout. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 390 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded on Tuesday, November 13th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, November 16th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. Elijah is off sick this week, so please everyone send him some nice thoughts and whatever the Star Trek equivalent of chicken soup is. In his place, you may have noticed that we have brought back an old favorite. Tony, welcome back. I'm back. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, So, Anthony, what's coming up this week? This week, we're trekking out rumors of yet another Star Trek spinoff series in the works, starring everyone's favorite Section 31 operative, question mark. Michael Chabon is sharing some behind-the-scenes details on the upcoming Picard series, And a Star Trek acting alum was just inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame. In Star Trek Online and Gaming News, Age of Discovery is now available for console players, and we finally get to see some gameplay footage of the newly announced mobile game, Star Trek Fleet Command. In our on-screen segment, we're discussing the latest Star Trek Short Trek Calypso, and as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open and we'd love to hear from you between episodes. So please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. And you can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. And we are now on Instagram as well. So follow Priority One Pod for snapshots of the latest Trek news and some of our own misadventures. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters, old and new, who make this show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And another way you can help us out here at Priority One is to join us as volunteer audio editors. Whether you're an experienced editor or if you just want to learn a new skill, drop us a line. Incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com is the address. We'll train you, give you the software you need. So if you'd like to become a part of the Priority One family, send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or check out our website. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
If you like Michelle Yeoh's portrayal of Captain Flippa Georgiou, or more importantly, her mirror counterpart, Emperor Georgiou, then you may be in luck. According to Deadline's Dominic Patton, Michelle Yeoh is in talks for her own Star Trek spin-off series. Talks are reportedly preliminary and hinge on a number of factors, not the least of which being Michelle Yeoh's availability. The 56-year-old Malaysian actress has a lot on her plate, including a possible sequel to the surprise hit Crazy Rich Asians, which may hinder her ability to lead a series. According to Deadline, a CBS spokesperson declined to comment when contacted, which means it's all true. Listen... Okay, so before we started recording, I said I have opinions this week. And this is a story about which I have an opinion. So I cannot get away from this story. It is all over my Facebook feed. It is all over my Twitter feed. It is all over my Google That's because alerts. the algorithm knows It is all over you. everything. The algorithm knows It's true. There is absolutely no evidence. In it. I'm not saying it's not true, because I don't know. And I don't know, you know, he's, uh, the guy who wrote the article is their senior editor, probably knows some people, whatever. It, to me, it feels like clickbait. Because she, she, she is such a huge star right now. Crazy Rich Asians was such a huge success. Everyone would love to see this happen. There is no indication that it will happen. It would be like the equivalent of me being like, oh my God, you guys, this is totally happening. It's just, it's it's an assertion designed to drive traffic to Deadline's website. It kind of makes me mad. Um, having said that, and slightly parking that to the side, um, how bad do I want a, a, a Mirror Giorgio spinoff? Like super bad. Well, if you wish upon a star and Michelle Yeoh <laughs> is offered a large sack of money, a bigger sack of money than everybody else's bags of money that they're going to try to offer her, then you may get your wish. But I'm sure it's your wish that'll make the difference. So Positive. I'm going to have to disagree with you. I don't think this is clickbait at all. I think this is an actual story. I think that what happened is you're absolutely right. Crazy Rich Asians was a huge hit. Michelle Yeoh is in it, and she's also in Star Trek. And then somebody at CBS said, hey, we should capitalize on that. Let's start talking to her about her own show. Uh, and I think that the guy at Deadline caught wind of this and wrote a story about it. And I think, I think that's why we're here. As far as this show goes, I think this is the best idea for a spinoff show that they've had. And the reason is, is because in my mind, it's an organic idea. It isn't the Picard series trying to capitalize on the popularity of TNG. It's not the Rick and Morty Star Trek adult cartoon series that's just going to, that that in my mind seems to be like, look what we can do now with Star Trek. This seems to me like <laughs> a character that organically grew out of the first season of Discovery and became a compelling, interesting character that we want to see more of. And so I think this is a brilliant idea and of course I want it now. It's not a terrible see, idea. See, this is wonderful. I I love the fact that, you know, this is exactly the kind of discussion that makes me so excited for the next chapter of Star Trek. And I know I was a little bit of a naysayer with the whole Alex Kurtzman five-year deal, whatever. I actually got into a discussion on Twitter earlier this week, which had m 
more interaction than I've had on Twitter in ages because most of my posts have been pretty political lately. Somebody had said that they didn't want to see all of the Star Trek coming out, that it was too much. And I disagreed because I am looking forward to the producers at Star Trek letting go a little bit and um, really diversifying what they offer us. Let it, I, I think I used the phrase, let it breathe, let it have wings or Somebody said I should have said nacelles. Um, <laughs> no. But these are exactly the kind of discussions I'm looking forward to having on this show, which is where I'm going. I am down for the animated series. I am down for the um, the definitely going to happen CW style Starfleet Academy series. And I like I do want to see Michelle Yeoh, but it's probably not going to be my favorite of them. And then we can talk about that. We can talk about the different aspects that Star Trek is bringing up and what makes them all core Star Trek. It's just super exciting. This is the sort of out of the box thinking that I wish they would have brought to the table for Discovery. Because you can have the protagonists of the show be the antagonists of the universe. And you can root for the protagonists getting beat every week. You know, this, they're, you know, they're, they're crime, criminal underground people be doing naughty things. Okay, so maybe sometimes they're on the side of the, quote, good guys, but that's only because of circumstance and they're going to make a profit off of it or whatever. I mean, this is, this is a sort of uh, looking at the Star Trek universe of Gene Roddenberry where everything is sweetness and light on the Federation side from the opposite angle. And I think that would have been or could have been really good to start with. But if this is how we get it eventually... That's okay. And even if they don't get Michelle Yeoh, they should take this idea and run with it with a different set of characters, different cast. And I think people are overreacting a little bit to the idea that we're going to have too much Star Trek. I don't think their plan is to run these shows all at the same time. Their plan is to string them together so that you have almost year-round content. And keep in mind that back in 1994 and 95... We had two Star Trek shows on at the same time. You could literally watch Star Trek twice a week with DS9 yeah, and Voyager. One of them sucked, and, so. <laughs> look, everybody's got their Star Trek, okay? Let's not have that everybody's everybody's got their Star Trek, first off. And secondly, and then on top of that, we had two feature films come out. We had we had Generations and we had First Contact came out while those two shows within within three a three month period of those two shows being on the air at the same time. So it's we'll never have that much saturation of Star Trek. And if it worked back then, and we're still fans of that, then we'll be fine. They have to have it for CBS All Access. I mean, they have to. They've got it. They've got to find a way to produce 365 days a year worth of Star Trek content. And that leads us to our first community question. Would you like to see a Georgiou series? Would you prefer it to be Emperor Georgiou or Captain Georgiou? Well, keeping on the theme of year-round Star Trek, the new short trek Calypso, which we will be talking about later, has made waves, and so has its scribe, Michael Shabon. The 55-year-old Pulitzer Prize-winning author has been front and center these last few weeks, promoting the recently released Calypso, as well as offering up a double dose of hashtag Trek nuggets for our eager consumption. Shabon told Deadline that Sir Patrick Stewart has had a big part in shaping the upcoming series, saying, quote, That time with Patrick as a resource, and as a very willing and literate resource, I think it's going to make the show. It's going to take it to another level. Just to have him participating in the way he participated? Amazing. End quote. Shabon shared similar sentiment with IGN, telling the site, quote, 
He's really pushing us to try to do something new and different with the character, and that's why he wants to play it. He's a very fierce protector of the character, but at the same time, he wants to see Jean-Luc Picard having experiences, having adventures, and be put in situations we haven't seen before, end quote. Check out both interviews by following the link in our show notes. I mean, this actually goes back to when Sir Patrick Stewart made the, the announcement of the new show at STLV last year. His real big push and basically the thing that pushed him over the edge to doing it was the fact that fans told him how much Picard meant to them. And so it's it's going to be about the character. I, I don't think anybody is fooled. The Picard show is going to be the Picard show. It's not going to be Star Trek. I mean, it's okay. It's technically going to be Star Trek. But do you know what I mean? It's not a we're not talking Star Trek TNG ensemble cast everybody has a role to play. This show is going to be about Jean-Luc Picard. Which is a little frightening, if you want to know the truth. I mean, because every other Star Trek show, yeah, there was always the captain, but eventually, by the time the second and third season rolled around, the other people sort of grew up. And, you know, it was it became a, an ensemble show. And then you have a Geordie show and a Worf show and uh, a, a, a Bashir show and even a Garrick show every once in a while when those minor characters came up or a Barkley show. So I mean, it, yeah. that uh, it's a little frightening to me to be for someone to say, "Hey, it's the Picard show," and like, "Oh, okay," it scares me a bit. How are you going to do a show that's anything but a Picard show when you've got Picard there, though? I mean, really, what are you going to do? Bring in like six other nobody? Like yes. TNG kind of worked because nobody really knew any of those actors. Lavar Burton was the big star. Yeah, but he was a, a more minor character. He was kind of the right. less front and center. Um, but it was able to be an ensemble show because they were all sort of on equal footing. I mean, I guess uh, Patrick Stewart had a bit more gravitas just because of the way he is. But how do you take Sir Patrick Stewart in a show and make it an ensemble cast? I don't, I don't see how you can do that. I don't either, and that's what scares me. I, I think you can still do it, but y- the focal point always has to be Picard. And so any other characters in the show will need to engage and challenge his character from week to week. Eventually those relationships, you know, will will work themselves out in the writing and in the acting and possibly we might see it broaden out to a more ensemble type of cast. When I think of this, I think of TNG episodes like The Inner Light, uh, Family and Chain of Command where they really put Picard in these you know, interesting situations through the scope of sci-fi and really, you know, explored that character in these extreme situations. Now, by today's standards of television, they're not that extreme, but I think that's what he's talking about when he says that this character is going to be the character, it's going to be true to the character, but it's also going to be something new because we're going to see him put into new situations that will challenge the character, and that's what I'm really looking forward to. To divert slightly, and it will come back, just you have to be patient. Um, Did you ever watch CSI Miami? Unfortunately, yes. Okay, because I adore CSI Miami. There was a time in my life when I used to watch all three CSI shows well, when they were just three, like back to back all the time. Um, so Horatio Kane, right, is the sort of lead character in CSI Miami. And he's a very strong character. He's always dramatically taken off his eyeglasses and stuff like that. Um, 
If you have ever read the Wikipedia entry for Horatio Kane, this poor man has been through absolutely everything. And it actually, when you start to think of all the like 15,000 seasons that CSI Miami went through, and as Horatio Kane being the lead person, he was the guy who was involved in most of the drama most of the time, it started to become a ridiculous caricature of that character because no one person would ever go through all of that. I think there is potentially a risk with a Picard-focused series, excuse me, that that could happen. Yeah. I mean, he's already been turned into a Borg and tortured and all of these other things. It's all it's, it's he's already got quite a lot That's of backstory. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. You know, it can't yeah, it can't if be you, all can Picard. Can you imagine? All the time. It can't. Yeah, 16 episodes or whatever it is of a Picard-centered series with lots of drama and intrigue, and you're like, pretty soon it, it could become a caricature. So I'm kind of with you, Tony. I still really want to see it. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle that without making us basically get burnt out or turned or turn Picard into a caricature. Continuing his press tour, Shabon sat down with CNET, a CBS property, and talked about Calypso, Picard, and hinted at a possible tone for the upcoming Picard series. Shabon told CNET that, quote, dystopia has lost its bite. A, we're living in it, and B, it's such a complete crushing series of cliches at this point. The tropes have all been worked and reworked so many times. A positive vision of the future articulated through principles of tolerance and egalitarianism and optimism and the quest for scientific knowledge. To me, that feels fresh nowadays. End quote. He continued saying of Picard, quote, He is the hero we need right now. He exemplifies in some ways even more than James Kirk. And I'm not going to get into the Kirk versus Picard argument because I love Captain Kirk. He was my first captain. But Picard is even more of an exemplar of everything that is best about Star Trek's vision of the future. End quote. I will quote and requote Michael Shabon for this one sentence. He says, dystopia has lost its bite. And thank God for that, because I'm so bored of dystopia. Like, I get it. Okay, you know, it used to be fascinating, but dude, we are living in dystopia. So I would just, can you give me something nice and optimistic again? That is why I love TNG. That is why Star Trek The Next Generation is my very favorite Star Trek series, because it was an optimistic hope for the future of what we can be. I'm done with dystopia. So this, this to me, is fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I, I think, you know, science fiction does two things really well. Number one, it warns you about things that maybe you should not do. Just because we can do a thing doesn't mean we should do a thing. You know, that theme might might resonate with some people, especially as a quote from Star Trek VI. But the other thing it can kind of do well is show people how something might be possible if you look at something in a slightly different way. Now, a lot of times it turns into a dystopian warning, but hopefully what you do with a character like Picard is you say, uh, we wind up the clock 20 years in the future or whatever it is, and then you go, whoops, we've done some bad things. We've let the Sona do something stupid and Romulus blew up or whatever it is and things kind of suck right now hey I remember back in my day when I was captain of the Enterprise and things didn't suck so bad and here's why it didn't suck so bad and let's make some decisions based on things not sucking in the future and that's the sort of thing that maybe you could do with a Picard show and have it not be a caricature 
And finally, we'd like to congratulate Star Trek Deep Space Nine's Odo René Abergenois for his induction into the Theater Hall of Fame. The 78-year-old New York City native was inducted as an actor on November 12, 2018, along with Christine Baranski and Cicely Tyson, playwrights Maria Irene Fornes and David Henry Huang, and Adrian Kennedy, director Joe Montello, and late signature theater artistic director James Houghton. Abergenois tweeted a photo of himself at the ceremony saying, quote, inordinately proud to be inducted into the Actors Hall of Fame last night, end quote. From everyone at Priority One, congratulations to Rene Abergenois, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly for the third time. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek news. We'll get to gaming news in just a moment, but first... A word from Mac Weldon. Yes, and for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of them before, Mac Weldon sells high-quality modern men's essentials. Things like underwear and socks, along with loungewear and other accessories for men. Now, I've actually been through the site myself, and I'm really impressed with the range. So they've got great-looking underwear, of course, um, but they also have really nice things like hoodies, slippers, hats, all of which look really classy and really comfortable, and they would make really great gifts. Well, I've already been shopping for myself, uh, especially the oh, really? es- yes, uh, especially <laughs> the essentials, uh, because they really pay attention to the details, like designing boxers that don't write up and, and having fabric choices with silver sewn right in for natural odor resistance. Now, I read about this, actually. The silver that's woven into the fabric is naturally antimicrobial and this fabric is actually called it's called xt2 silver and it was developed specifically to combat odors and mac weldon is one of these guys brand partners yeah it's really cool and you know that's something that keeps us guys more comfortable knowing that that is taken care of okay so here's my question for you anthony how does the Mac Weldon online shop compare to like going to the store for this kind of thing? Well, when when I go to the store and I look at the rack of products and they're, you know, they're all in sealed bags. So, I'm not going to buy an entire package just to try something new. But with Mac Weldon's try-on guarantee, if I don't like my first pair, they'll send me a different pair or refund me. And I still get to keep the first pair. That guarantee is right on their website. And in addition to that try-on guarantee for our listeners at home, Mac Weldon is also offering you 20% off your first purchase when you visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code PRIORITY at checkout. So this is a really great deal. We highly recommend that you check it out. That address again is MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code PRIORITY at checkout. And a big thanks to Mac Weldon for sponsoring this week's show. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. We're ready to dive into our gaming news this week, and joining us is Fleet Admiral Winters of the Priority One Armada. Welcome back, Winters. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's absolutely brilliant to be back. Well, the time for console captains to join Cadet Sylvia hashtag Silly4 Tilly has arrived. Join the Starfleet Academy class of 2256 and take to the stars as you fight Ju'ula and defend Starbase 1 from Klingon forces. Then, prepare yourself for a visit from a certain time agent. You can also experience the new random task force operation system and earn those marks for the new sixth tier of reputations. Captains on PC also have something new. The Battle at the Binary Stars featured TFO event has begun. 
For the next three weeks, captains can earn a TFO commendation once every 20 hours by running the event. And after you've collected 14 of those TFO commendations, you can earn yourself the Beacon of Kalis. So Winters, have you had a chance to play this yet? I have, yeah. And it, it was okay. I'll tell you what I really did like about it, and spoiler alert here, is the inclusion of the actual voices from the episode of Discovery. You know, when, uh, I can't remember the Admiral's name. Uh, Admiral Anderson. Anderson, that's it, yeah. When Admiral Anderson is talking with Takuvma, and then Takuvma actually responding, you know, like, as if that was a transmission that was going out to the entire fleet, which it was. Uh, it really felt like that. Uh, I thought that was a nice addition to it. Uh, yeah, I also um, got to play it, and I was, I'll be honest, I was a little underwhelmed, okay. um, but it looks gorgeous. The it background really art yes. and the ships, uh, the effects, and again, and like you said, I was taken by surprise a little bit with the inclusion of the actual audio from the episode. Right. And it even had some some of the moments from the battle that were featured in that episode. Yes. It you know, even though I was a little underwhelmed, and maybe it was because I've already seen this play out in the TV show, I really felt like I was in it and involved and it was really cool. Um Yep. You know, Same the one me. the one thing I didn't like is I I've I'm flying a Walker class ship right now. Uh-huh. And I didn't get to use it in the battle. I had to use whatever that uh, right. generic ship was. But, um, yeah. you know, that's a personal thing for me. I know some other people do enjoy the immersion of, of whatever the ship is they, they let you have. But, um, but yeah, overall, I, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. And I'm looking forward to running it some more. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much right on there with you as well. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it felt like it was part of it. Some things I might complain about or nitpick at would be... Do you remember when the Klingon ship decloaked and it went, you know, through the Admiral ship? Do you remember that scene? It was in the actual show as well. Yep. We never seen that Klingon ship. I have no idea what sh- Klingon ship that is. And we didn't see it in the show and we didn't see it here again now in this TFO. And I was like, well, what is that ship? Because it's a very unusual ship. And uh, when I seen the cutscene, I was like, oh, is this ship going to show up? And it, uh, I didn't see it anywhere. Maybe I missed it. I don't think I did it. You mean seeing the actual ship? Yeah, the actual ship. It's, you know... You see the front of it. You see the front of it, but that's it. You see it only in the cutscene. Okay, but you don't see the whole thing. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Um, The other thing then is... um, And I noticed this with the last TFO that they released, which was um, uh, the Defense of Starbase 1. An awful lot of the kills you get, you don't get any XP for them. Really? Yeah, I noticed that an awful lot on Defense of Starbase 1, and I've noticed it as well with, um, what's the other TFO that you can only get Gamma Marks on? Um, the Swarm. The Swarm, yes. My god, I'm totally blanking here today. Um, <laughs> Do you even Star Trek, bro? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, when you blow up uh, things like Swarmers, you get no XP for them. And I've noticed this here again now with the Battle of Binary Stars. There's a lot of ships, uh, like Birds of Prey, that you don't get any XP for. I don't know if that's by design. I was thinking about, you know, when you're leveling up your ship, when you're looking for ship mastery, these cues are probably not going to be that good to help out with that, because a lot of the kills you get, you're not going to get anything for them. Jingle bells, Q does spells, the ice race is fun to play. Oh, what fun it is to fish with the Klingons all the day. Hey! Star Trek Online has announced the start date for everyone's favorite Yuletide Spectacular. Q's Winter Wonderland will start on Tuesday, December 4th on all three platforms. 
This year's winter ship is a, quote, too fast, too furious, end quote, Fakiri ship, according to Star Trek Online's community manager, Mike Ambassador Kel Fatum. This is the first time they've released a Fakiri event ship. Hopefully the stats will be made available soon. Yeah, so this is very unusual for them to not do a Breen ship for the winter event. This is the first time they've ever departed from that. I th- it's kind of cool, but I, I did like, you know, getting a Breen ship every year for the winter event. I know some people didn't, but I liked it. You know, it made sense to me. I My biggest issue with the uh, Breen ships... And I guess with any ship that would have this problem is I can't play a Breen character. So why would I want a Breen ship? Mm, okay. Like, yeah. I can I, see for that. me, when, for my immersion, <laughs> I, I kind of need to have, I, I need to match my ship with my character. So if I'm running an Andorian, then it makes sense that I might have an Andorian ship. If I'm running a Vulcan, it might make sense that I have a Vulcan ship. You know, if I have a Ferengi, it might make sense to have a Ferengi ship. So, and again, with the Fakiri, I have, you know, I was, I, I bought the Fakiri uh, carrier when it first came out in the sea store right. 10 years ago, Yeah, you know, and I flew it for a little bit, but it, it, you know, I just didn't feel like it belonged because my character was Klingon. So um, I think it's cool. I, you know, hopefully it'll have a nice, you know, console to match my Fakiri carrier. And then maybe that'll in- incentivize me to use one or the other. Uh, although Mike's comments are a little interesting in that he said it's too fast, too furious. I'm wondering if that has something to do with the ship itself or if he's just sort of making fun of the name of the of one of the ice races. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's just purely for the race because that is the too fast, too furious race. Uh, in order to get those um, tokens uh, to purchase the ship in the first place. That's how I would take it anyway. But, alright, so Star Trek Online gives away three ships every year. You have one for the anniversary, one for the summer event, one for the winter event. This isn't just my opinion. This is from talking to a lot of different people. But a lot of people felt that, you know, the the, the anniversary, they should have a bit of fun. Do, do something unexpected. You know, like the Bajoran Interceptor, you know? Uh, perfect. You know, just throwing these little bits of um, flavoring, you know, from different races. And the summer event ship should probably be a Ferengi ship because that event is sponsored by the Ferengi Lobby Consortium. And then the winter event should be a Breen ship because winter, cold, Breen, it just makes sense. And it's always made sense to me. So I've always liked getting a Breen ship, even though I don't have a Breen character. But I get what you're saying, you know. But I don't really mind that they're doing Fakiri this year. I don't have the Fakiri carrier. This will be my first Fakiri ship. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what it looks like. In another forum post from Ambassador Kel, he explains the issue of lag and rubber banding that many of us have been experiencing. He says, quote, We've been looking into the lag and rubber banding issues in the game and determined the cause. Unfortunately, the cause was a fix we put in place to fix an entirely different bug that captains were getting their skills invalidated by claiming Tier 6 reputations. Because the lag is a larger issue throughout the game, we've decided to remove the previous fix as of a few minutes ago. This means that until our next update, where we'll be instituting a fix that should solve both problems, you should avoid claiming a Tier 6 reputation." End quote. So, Winters, this is... This is kind of a big deal. Can you explain a little bit more what's going on here? Yeah, so they've put in some fix last week or the week before 
for something else and it seems part, part of that is causing lag and rubber banding and I know a lot of people and I mean a lot like everybody I've seen this an awful lot in zone chat and our own priority one chat channel talking on TeamSpeak to, to uh, members and stuff like that everybody has been getting lag and it's not a specific map it's actually game wide like I was in a TFO for uh, the Vault Ensnared. There was a couple of guys then on Dyson Ground Battle Zone, and there was some people on ESD, and everybody was getting the lag. It was completely game-wide. So their fix for the time being is remove this other update that they've done, and they're going to fix it next week. So apparently, with the first fix being removed, if you claim a Tier 6 reputation there's a chance that your skills will be invalidated. So this is kind of pretty big. I'm actually a little disappointed that they're not going to bring down the servers tomorrow for this because a lot of players are not going to know about this until next week. Now, I'm sure that people will be able to rectify the problem next week if they do claim a Tier 6 reputation, and it is only a chance that it'll happen. I, I don't think it's guaranteed anyway. At least that's not how... Um, I, I read his um, post, but yeah, if, if you're closing in on that tier 6 reputation, maybe just hold off until next week, until next Thursday, and uh, claim your tier 6 reputations then. Moving on to Priority 1 Armada news. Yes, so today we want to highlight a few members who have gone above and beyond the call of duty for the Priority 1 Armada. These members have been unanimously nominated by the senior staff for the Outstanding Service Medal in recognition of their recent real-world money donations to the Armada website and Dilithium donations made to each of their home fleets. We all felt that their generous contributions warranted special recognition within the Armada since their efforts have made a huge dent in what we owe for website hosting fees, domain name fees, TeamSpeak hosting fees, and other Armada administrative fees needed to maintain our Armada network. It is my great honour to present the Outstanding Service Medal to Captain Advisory Panda of the Priority One Gamma Fleet, Captain Salaknar of the Priority One Gamma Fleet, Captain Jester of the Priority One Beta Fleet, Captain Mizugai of the Priority One Epsilon Fleet, Captain Boulderblood of Priority One Delta Fleet, and Admiral Cat of the Priority One Epsilon Fleet. Well done to all of you. This is an incredible achievement, and we thank you so much for your continued support of the Priority One Armada. And in other Star Trek gaming news, last week we talked about the new Star Trek mobile game, Star Trek Fleet Command. Our enthusiasm for this game was somewhat lacking, not only because of the strange way the game was announced, but also because there seemed to be no gameplay shown to go with all of the hype. Well, thanks to the YouTube channel Twisted Slippers, we're getting an actual look at the gameplay ahead of its November 29th release. The game appears to be a real-time strategy game with some RPG elements added. Check out the show notes for links to the videos. Now, Winters, I think you got a chance to see some of these videos, and you didn't know about the game until we started talking about it today. So what were your thoughts on what you saw? When I started watching the videos, it had a very familiar feel to it, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. I think you said it was um, kind of similar to, uh, what was it, Star Trek Armada? Is that right? Yeah, Star Trek Armada, the, right. the real-time space strategy game. Yeah, and I think you might be right there. Um, there was something very familiar with it, and it, it could be that. It might have been some other game that I played, but I'm pretty sure 
that's what it was because um, uh, I, I played that game for a little while um, even though I don't think I finished it the graphics on it were fantastic particularly the uh, character art I mean the the likenesses of all the, the characters were fantastic for it a little bit disappointing that there's no voiceover but you know I'm sure it would have been really expensive to actually get the, uh, the characters from JJ Trek to do voiceover for a game but it could be interesting um it mightn't be my cup of tea because I don't. I prefer my games to have a little bit more action in them, typically, and um, sort of moving one piece to the other it isn't really my cup of tea. Yeah, I um, I very much enjoyed Star Trek Armada, and the other game it reminds me of that I, I don't think a lot of people remember is the game Star Trek: Birth of the Federation, which was a right. a 4x turn-based strategy game where. Um, I think it was more planet based, like you would build on one planet and then you, I think you might even have jumped to other planets, but uh-huh. it, it, it appeared to be definitely a, a real time strategy game. Yeah. And you, you're absolutely right. The artwork and the likenesses is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And again, this takes place in the Kelvin timeline. Right. So, yeah. um, they did a really good job of designing some of, even some of the aliens that I don't think we've seen in the Kelvin movies, like the Nausicans are in this yeah. game. Right. They, they even have Nausicans ships. Um, but it very much is you sort of, uh, build your star base, you gather resources, you upgrade your ships, you gather crew, you collect crew members, you, you upgrade the crew members. Uh, you send your ships out to do various missions. Uh, oftentimes, it appears as though you're involved in, you know, going and investigating a ship, possibly even fighting the ship. So, I think there's there's some potential here. I, I'm definitely going to try it and play it. And okay. um, and I think it's it. I'll be honest. It looks like it's a little involved for like a, a a mobile you know time wasting style game right you know definitely not like star trek timelines or even um trexels where you feel like you can just hop in for you know three or four minutes do something and and then and then jump out or or just sort of wasting time while you're in a line or while you're you know laying in bed ready to go to sleep or something <laughs> this this looks like you want to sit down and play it you know right yeah um i almost kind of wish this was av- also available on steam or something because this might be one that i might actually want to sit down and, and and put some attention into and on a bigger screen well who knows maybe at some point in the future it, it might i mean uh timeline started out that way and that's available on steam now isn't it uh yeah, absolutely. In fact, yeah. I was one of the beta test beta testers for oh, oh, nice. uh, timelines on Steam. So, well, that's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's find out what's on screen with the newest short trek titled Calypso. On screen. Well, captains, welcome to On Screen, where we dissect the latest episode of Star Trek. This week, Short Treks Calypso. Open, Betty Boop. A man in an escape pod, alarms, warning of imminent danger, floating through the cold emptiness of space. Tractor beams latch on to the tiny craft. Tractor beams from... the Discovery. The man from the pod wakes in sickbay with a gasp, monitored and scanned by... something. After finding a makeshift weapon and clothes too small for his frame, the man is startled by the disembodied voice of a woman. They introduce themselves. The woman's name is Zora. The man... Quarrel. 
though Zora doesn't believe him. She offers him freshly replicated clothing. Zora leads Quarrel to the mess hall. She apologizes for the grub, and Quarrel asks for Zora to show herself. It turns out that Zora is the Discovery's computer. The two begin to converse. Quarrel is actually Kraft, though that isn't really his name either, and he is a soldier from the settlement on Alcor 4. Kraft stole his escape pod from his enemies, the Vidraish, and the man clearly has no taste in animation. After hearing that Zora is from the long ago, or about a thousand years in the past, Kraft asks to see the bridge. Kraft wants to get home, and Zora could travel to Alcor 4, but her orders are to remain where she is, and she will do just that. Her unchristened shuttle may be of use, but never mind that. Time passes. Zora shows Kraft Taco Tuesday and the film Funny Face and gives him some of the comforts of home, and Kraft appreciates her kind selflessness. He decides to reciprocate. Kraft learns to dance, inexplicably without the tutoring of Dr. Crusher, mimicking Zora's favorite scene from Funny Face. When the time is right, Kraft asks Zora to join him, and she projects herself to him as a hologram. They dance the scene from her favorite film. They feel that scene. But Kraft has a companion back home, and he must leave. Zora sheds a holographic tear. In a selfless act, Zora gives Kraft a spacesuit and the aforementioned unchristened shuttle so that he may return home. We learn that on Kraft's world, a lover gives a person their true name. As Kraft departs, Zora reflects that she has named him, and the previously unmarked shuttle is designated Funny Face. The end. So, as a theater major, and as somebody who's worked in film, there's always layers and meanings in artistic works like this. Right. And I did not understand any of them. <laughs> this worked on a level that was far beyond me, I feel. And it didn't occur to me until you actually were reading the synopsis that I'm starting to think that this didn't actually happen in the future or at all. Because his name is Quarrel at the beginning, which now seems to be an allegory for where he comes from. And then his name becomes Craft, similar to Shuttlecraft? And then she names the Shuttlecraft Funny Face by the end of the story. So now I'm starting to think that he really wasn't there. But that's just me. I think you are way reading too much into this. Personally, I read this as a fairly straightforward tale. Discovery, for whatever reason, is a thousand years in the future, sitting there, lonely, dude comes along she's like hey companion and they have this moment and then she lets him go like that's pretty much what i took away from it is that that's what happened i'm not sure you can read much more into that except to perhaps wonder what in the good name has this anything to do with star trek absolutely nothing it has absolutely nothing to do with star trek it is not in any timeline or anything, it's just a science fiction short that they needed a script for and the Picard series was spinning up and they had Shavon on the payroll and he likes alternate timeline history type things and so he took a spin at it. And it's just an old-timey Twilight Zone, Amazing Tales, uh, Asimov's short fiction kind of science fiction story. I mean, you could take this story and put it in any generic sort of futuristic timeline thing, and it would play just as well. And it doesn't have to be Star Trek. It could be anything. It's just a science fiction short. That's all it is. It was well done. 
but it didn't have to be Star Trek. I actually want to come back to that concept that this is sort of just like a nice sort of vignette, basically. I want to come back yeah. to that and talk about that in a minute. I think that you're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I okay. do think that the use of the discovery is not accidental. I think it's deliberate and more than just, hey, discovery's on the air, so let's make the discovery. And we've got the sets lying around in the computer-generated model, and uh, nobody's here. Yeah, I mean, They could have easily, if they wanted this to just be a flexing our muscles, let's see what we can do with a short story, they could have made it anywhere. I think the discovery is deliberate. And also, there's the fact that the people that craft has been battling is at war with is a people called the Vidraish, which we all already know that they're obsessed with oldie timey things. And Michael Shabon on Twitter straight up confirmed that Vidraish is the Federation. Now, we don't know what has happened with the trophy emoticon and then a smiley face emoticon. So you <laughs> know he's serious. He's yeah. So absolutely serious. There's there is something that has happened between in that thousand year time period that has made the Vidraish, for whatever reason, at odds with Kraft's people. Now, we don't know. Kraft could be the bad guy. We don't know. The Vidraish could be some kind of weird, corrupted federation. We don't know. But it's clearly meant to tie back to Star Trek and give us these little, like, talking points. The question is, though, will we ever see anything like this again ever in Star Trek? Shorts? Yes. No, I mean, are we ever going to hear about Vidraish ever again? No. Are we ever going to hear about Alcor 4? No. Are we ever going to find out why Discovery is sitting out there? Unlikely. By herself. I, sa I should say by themselves because we attribute her gender because she's got a female voice, but we don't know. Well, traditionally, ships are referred to as she's. So. And she seems to identify female. She chose the name Zora for herself. Well. She didn't call her. She didn't call herself Discovery. She identifies herself as a separate entity from the ship. And I got to tail off slightly for a second. I personally don't believe that Kraft is the first, and I do not Ooh. believe that Kraft will be the last. And the last one that came, maybe Zora. She murdered him. Was masculine. You don't know. I do think there's a lot to kind of like talk about, and I would love to kind of know more. I'd love to build the universe around this. And it starts with understanding why is Discovery there? I mean, I, th I think that's the central question. And I'm dying to know, are we going to hear about this in season two? I sincerely doubt it. Is this a thing that we're going to find out? Either that little nugget of self-awareness that the Discovery is going to have. Maybe she becomes sentient. I don't know. Or are we going to find out what it is? Because why is she stuck there? There is a line in the season two trailer when Tilly says something to the effect of what Discovery is doing is amazing. And she refers to the as if the ship is doing something itself. And I keep thinking of that whenever I watch this short. I wonder as well. And my, my hope and my feeling is that during season two, there will be little moments that will say, oh, that's referencing that short. Or this is something that corresponds with that. And I think we are going to see that. And I think you're right, Kenna, that it is the discovery on purpose. Absolutely. I 100% disagree, but I guess we'll find out. Because Michael Shabon, one of his most famous books is called The Yiddish Policeman's Union. And it's like an alternate history kind of a thing where Israel gets founded but then destroyed three years later because the first... Uh, Israeli war didn't go very well, and World War II didn't end until 1946, and some other stuff got changed. And he posits how the world would look if something went different. 
I think this is like a semi-prime, secondary, tertiary timeline that branched off for some random reason, and I don't think we're going to see it again. This had a lot more of a feeling of a short story idea that a science fiction writer probably had in his drawer somewhere, because lots of writers have, you know, a half-finished or a, a semi-fleshed-out story, and they probably said, they probably approached him saying, hey, while we're doing this Picard thing, uh, we're looking at doing these shorts, do you have anything for us? And he probably went, yeah, I got this thing. And it seemed to fit with some of the Star Trek tropes, you know, uh, AI coming to life, gaining sentience, ships being abandoned in, in the dark, good guys becoming bad guys in the future for random reasons we don't explore. It seems to me like this is a one-off. And it doesn't mean that you couldn't try to connect it later on in the future, but there are a lot of questions whose answers any kind of continuity check would find uncomfortable. So, like, when do we abandon the Discovery? It's never destroyed, it's simply abandoned and left there for a thousand years. And it says, well, I'm waiting for them to come back. And the sentient computer doesn't disobey, which means that either she's not really sentient or that she has a feeling that it might actually happen. Like, for some, she knows something, is aware of some facts that make it plausible that someone will be coming back for her a thousand years in the future. And why no one's stumbled onto the ship. How does she actually get the guy out of the escape pod? Does she have little robots running around? Yeah, but then how does she operate on him and make his scars go away, you know? How did the sombrero get on the tacos? It's not a hat dispenser. It's a food dispenser, people. Details, details, details. No, no. The hat wouldn't fit in the tray. The hat wouldn't fit out of the little hole in the wall where the food comes out. What I'm saying is when, you, when you're dealing with a one-off, a short little vignette, it has all the classic sort of sci-fi feeling tropes, you don't need to worry about that stuff. You just tell your story, sign off, the guy flies into space on his little warp warp shuttle, and, you know, the end. Big credits roll. Don't take it for more than that. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that a lot of what you said is a possibility of him already having a pre-existing story that he wanted to fit into this. But I think that the great thing is, is that in the Star Trek universe, you can take those ideas, you can transform them into a Star Trek moment, and then connect it to the greater universe. So... And the other thing... And continuity be damned, because we know nobody cares. We've got the Prime timeline, we've got the Kelvin timeline, we've got weird uniforms and Discovery, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Nobody says the Discovery has been sitting there for a thousand years. She All does. She says, no, she says she's from a thousand years ago, and we already know that Discovery has time-traveled once. Maybe she doesn't straight out say it, she heavily implies she's been sitting there for a thousand years becoming sentient. That's the implication. Now, I would like to bring up something. This short trek got me more excited than the previous one, and I'll tell you why. It was an unmistakably Star Trek-branded show. You could argue whether it had to be Star Trek. But it was, except for the couple of little tiebacks, it was really standalone. There was no familiar characters in it other than the Discovery. And this actually got me really excited about the prospect of CBS being able to do rapid turnaround, short-format Star Trek stories that kind of keep your appetite whetted. And I'm looking forward to the agility that that demonstrates. I work in software development. We talk about agility and the ability to sort of react and change and produce new things depending on your audience. And the short treks to me could be a little bit of that. That got me excited more so than the previous one did. Um, and I personally hope to see more from them in the future. If they loosen the reins a little, this sort of shows the potential of not caring about connecting everything to the main story and not really worrying too much about the little details and not having somebody be 
being the, the keeper of the canon. Let's bring back the open submission policy. Let's bring that back and do it in short treks. I would love to see that. And let's remember, I'm saying the way, way, way back machine here for a couple years ago. Let's remember the whole fan film guidelines. It's got to be disconnected. It can't tell a long story. It's a 15 minute maximum running time. You know, it, it can't be serialized. It's almost like CBS is saying, hey guys, these are fun. You can do this. This is the kind of thing you could do as a fan production. And if people take that inspiration, same kind of along the lines with the Michelle Yeoh series, tell a Section 31 story about some random planet somewhere off the beaten path. You can have Romulans and Klingons and all the other stuff, and but just don't try to connect it to the rest of the universe. Let it be its own thing. Okay, so the question for you guys then is, I mean, okay, we've, we've kind of talked about the bigger issues. What did you like? What was your favorite part of Calypso? If you didn't like anything, you can say that too. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really have a favorite part. I did not connect well with this short. My wife had to explain it to me what it was about. I thought it was very well done, and I just feel like it was it was on a level I just did not comprehend. And my wife did immediately, and that says a lot about our relationship. So, Well, Tony, it was a love story, so... <laughs> Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my favorite part was, and it's a little cheesy, but I love it. I love that the the computer Zora is like a total perv. <laughs> she totally is. She because he's dressed when he's in that pod, and he is not dressed when he's in sick bay. And then she provides him with a tray full of clothes that are all too small, so like his rippling muscles like can't get into the jumpsuit. And she's like, "Oh, here, I'll make this one especially for you." She's a total perv. I love it. I'm gonna reiterate that you need to not read too much into anything in this show. It's just a little science fiction show. You're reading an awful lot into it that I think says more about the reviewer than the project reviewed. No, but, you know, this is a side to the sci-fi trope of the sentient AI, right? That We've even seen it before in Star Trek, and it's been fine. We saw, we actually saw a similar thing happen in Doctor Who several seasons back when um, the TARDIS had, like, oh, she was a woman, um, and she was very into the Doctor. You don't often get to see that sort of, I'm falling in love with you, and she was... To- she was hardcore hitting on craft. I mean, there was not from the second that tractor beam was on that shuttle pod, she was straight after him. And I kind of loved that. I loved that sort of character. And then it leaves you with a lot of questions of like, well, the one for me is, was she female? I mean, that's that to me is a really interesting thing to think about. If he's not the only one that's ever come past, which I don't believe he is, are they, is Zora, actually just non-gendered and we impose the gender upon her? Um, and then that changes as that fluid for other people that come by. I just, I, I think it's a really interesting and fun thing to think about. I'm pretty sure she clearly saw herself as the female lead in that movie, right? That's where she identified with that. In this iteration, I think in this iteration, but I don't think that's necessarily she loves that movie. Maybe sometimes she's the man and the person that she brings on board is the woman. I I don't think we can answer that. And I just think it's something interesting to think about. I'm just going to go back to the whole, it was a 15 minute thing. The guy probably had it in a drawer. His file cabinet was like, this will be fun. And he like (laughs) dropped it on somebody's desk and people were like, that's so awesome. Let's do that. And then they, then they did it. I'm pretty sure that that's, that's mostly it. 
This is a very effective and engaging short that we've all come from it from such a drastic point, different points of view. It's a, it, that's, and it says so much about each of us. It's, 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 it is, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And that's kind of why I'm hoping short tracks long may it continue because of these sort of discussions that come out of it. That's it for this week's On Screen. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 389's first community question was, How do you feel about Megan Fox possibly appearing in Star Trek? From Patreon, Jim DeVico says, Megan Fox, I'm there. Now if they can just get her to check the oil in the Discovery's engine, I can die a happy man. <laughs> She'll have a jumpsuit that covers everything, and there's no oil in the Discovery's engine. It's all mushrooms. It... <laughs> Sorry, Jim. It's just, no. From Facebook, Lance Wilson says, I see many fans expressing concerns about Megan Fox possibly appearing in Star Trek. I've never really understood this type of reaction from fans. Far too many times in recent history have we seen odd castings turn into gold. Heath Ledger as Joker, for example. On the other hand, Clooney seemed perfect for Batman, and we know how that went. I'm content just to wait and see the finished product before I judge. Okay, first of all, Lance Wilson, George Clooney was an excellent Batman and um, fight me. Uh, but also, I, I, I actually happen to agree with this um, sentiment, largely speaking. Casting directors get paid a lot of money for good reason, and they don't tend to just... Okay, okay. sometimes they do just <laughs> yeah. cast people because they, they'll yeah. get a draw. But it's not, it's not really something we tend to see in Star Trek. But, um, so I don't. I, I'm gonna. not that worried. If somebody if if somebody casts Megan Fox in Star Trek, it's not going to be because yes, it is. Oh, it's Megan Fox, and we definitely need Megan Fox yes, to boost our. Nobody's no, it, no, it, yes, no, it will and not be. Yes, there are there are so many other people they could do that with. They I, they just hired. I, dude, I just don't see it. Happening. They just hired dude to a five year deal to put as many Star Trek shows as possible to keep CBS All Access running. He is literally throwing darts at walls. And seeing what sticks, literally. You're getting the TV and the films confused. This is Megan Fox potentially being in a Star Trek film, not the television series. Totally different, totally different thing. They are not throwing jelly at a wall and seeing what sticks. They are, they are casting films. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I think if she, if if she gets cast in a film, it'll be good. I think it'll be fine. And Kenna has clearly never seen Star Trek Enterprise because that entire cast is just cast on the way they look. Speaking of that, okay. the next comment says... <laughs> From Facebook, Chris Trone says, Megan Fox? Eh, I feel the same way Kate Mulgrew felt about the Seven of Nine character. Can we stop fetishizing characters like T'Pol and Seven and just have a good story? Question mark. I will agree with T'Pol's casting, but I don't agree with Seven of Nine's casting. I think Jerry Ryan did an amazing job, and I think that that character, based on the character alone and her journey and her arc, was actually what made Voyager a a decent Star Trek show to watch. I don't agree with either one of them. But did she have to be in a skin tight silver cat suit? I yes. think is the is the is the discussion yes, she point. Did. It was it was okay. necessary because they had to get eyeballs on the screen, and there is but, no better way. But that no, I mean for the character, you, I, the character would not have stayed on the show if the show got canceled, and the, the show not to get canceled. <laughs> you eyeballs on the screen, eyeballs okay. on the screen, okay, equals catsuit. 
And I would like to say, I would like to say that that her casting as as an actor is was not a stunt thing. It was the costume she wore. That was the a stunt. stunt. Right. Yes. Yes, abs- yes absolutely. Just to clarify and, my point. <laughs> yeah. Seven of Nine was probably the best thing to happen to that show because it brought oh, the enemy into the, sh- into the ship. I mean, it brought the bad Ooh. guy into the ship and then took her from the bad guy to try to be the good guy. That was probably the best thing to happen to Voyager. And, and on to Paul, I will, I, will, I will take this to my grave. Season four of, of Enterprise is some of the best Star Trek ever made, and to Paul was a huge part of that. So I, 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 don't, I don't truck with any of that. I can't believe this. I agree with Tony for a second time it this happens. episode. It's okay. There's therapy available. It'll be all right. <laughs> is there an ointment for that? No, there is no ointment. <laughs> Hours of therapy. Hours. Episode 389, second community question was, does flying a Discovery-era ship in the new featured Star Trek Online TFO Battle at the Binary Stars add to your immersion, or would you prefer to fly your own ship? From Facebook, Joy A. McCaster says, It doesn't bother me much. We already have to use a D7 holographic skin in one of the missions, so I don't see it being much more different than that. Might add a little immersion into the battle. From Patreon, Jason Smith. What's up, Jason? Does flying a disco-era ship in the feature TFO add to your immersion? I think it does. Sometimes I wish everyone was in the same era ships, not because immersion, but because I like doing screenshots. P.S. STO needs more ships from disco. That's a good point, actually. That's something that's always a little bit weird. If you if you are into your immersion or you like doing your your uh, screenshots, and you're somewhere like um, I've done this like around Earth space dock, you have to be really careful about where you shoot because you'll get like your pretty Federation whatever, and then somebody will be in like a Jem'Hadar ship in the background with like right next to a Ferengi ship. It can get a little bit muddled in those um, social areas. So I I, I kind of get what he's what he's after, but yeah. Just, just, just fly somewhere. Just like, yeah, fly out fifty kilometers. But what if I want my ship against Earth space dock? That's all about your framing. You just got to find a spot, and you can change instances to one that's not as populated. Pro tips. Pro tips. Don't forget to file for the proper shooting permits with Earth space dock. Oh, the bureaucracy's terrible. Red tape everywhere. From Facebook, Josh Truax writes. What I don't understand is why we're not already piloting Discovery era ships in the Starbase One TFO. They're both Discovery Era events, so it doesn't make sense for that game mechanic to exist in one of them and not the other. Yeah, I kind of agree, because for 2409 captains, that's actually a- another holographic mission for them to like learn about that event. So I kind of agree with him. And finally, from PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, Regarding flying disco ships or not in the Battle at the Binary Stars TFO, I'm good either way. I can see it being fun to place myself in an era-appropriate ship, role-playing as one of the actual on-the-TV-show captains alongside the likes of Burnham and Giorgio, fighting in that fateful battle. I could also have fun showing up in my bigger, shinier 25th century or even further future ships and stomping those poor revamped crinkle heads into the ground. Smiley face. Silly Klingons, you thought that sarcophagus ship was big? Meet the universe class! Still don't like that ship. Oh, Still don't oh like my that god, that's my favorite ship in the game. That's the ship I fly. Still don't like that ship. That's actually why I'm upset is because I can't fly my universe class in that. Well, that wraps up episode 390 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And before we go, here's a community question for this week. Would you like to see a Georgiou series? Would you prefer it to be Emperor Georgiou or Captain Georgiou? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter or Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Stowe players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Still not enough? Well, then be sure to watch out for The Cutting Room. Join Priority One audio editor Brandon Parker on Thursday nights at around 6.30 p.m. Eastern and watch as he turns our Tuesday hijinks into Friday gold. That link again is twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. This week's Priority One podcast is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Get 20% off your first purchase by visiting MacWeldon.com and entering the promo code PRIORITY at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com and enter promo code PRIORITY for 20% off your first order. And a big thanks to Mac Weldon for sponsoring this week's show. This episode of Priority One Podcast is also brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with a world of Dungeons & Dragons, Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker and new recruits James Golding, Rand Hurl, and Daniel Stevens. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors, including Title It Thursday and the awesome Survey Sunday. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su-no! Engage!
Transfer complete. And another way you can help us out here at Priority One is to join us as volunteer editor. Audio editor. I'm off to a smashing start as well. I, I thought for sure. You're really out of practice. I'm just, out. I'm just like editing stuff as I go. Just like, I thought for sure. That word, that word is immaterial. I thought for sure he was going to say to help us out here in guard frequency. I could have. I, I could have done, done it too. <laughs> mm. Trek Nuggets rolls off the tongue. Anyway, whatever. You should say a 20-piece serving of Trek Nuggets. <laughs> Ooh, the super grande. With sweet and sour yeah. Trek sauce. Oh, that's, that's the yeah. only way to order. Mm. That's the only way to order Trek Nuggets is a 20-piece. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> you can have three sauces with that. Extra yeah. costs more. With a side of, of saucer separation. That was true. That was bad. That was that was bad. That was I would keep working on it though. Like I kinda yeah. feel like Workshop there's that I kinda feel like yeah. there's legs yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on, okay. let me take let me take notes here. Continuing as Prestor. Prestor? Prestor. <clears throat> Prestor. 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 Prestor changeor. <laughs> By the way, Horatio Sands, you could you could feel the weight of his character and the way he took off his sunglasses. Yeah, Horatio. Horatio Kane. Horatio Sands. Did I say Horatio totally Sands? I go for oh, Horatio totally Kane. Totally different person. Isn't Horatio Sands that from is SNL? The, that is the first and oh, only time wow. that those two characters have been confused. <laughs> well, I specialize <laughs> in the done. in the unlikely. I used to love his. Listen, though. I used to love the way you would take his sunglasses off. And like, deliver a it. terrible pun right afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, every time. Every time. It was like clockwork. Every episode. It's brilliant. Uh, that's fine. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But we both have beards. But only we both one of you has a goatee. It's, it's strange. So it's I'm pri- Well, I'll. That's right. I that's agree. me. I that would make that. me evil, Tony. You must be prime. I think the moral of the story is don't go to Taco Tuesdays at Kenneth's house. I think that's really where we're going with this one. <laughs> I thought his name had something to do with it. Tony's obsessed with the fact that you can't fit a hat in a in a in a replicator box, and and Kenna. Kenneth thinks that that Zora is a habitual offender. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.